like listening to me, because I assume if you've come to this podcast, there is something about my voice, maybe the content, maybe the tone, maybe this helps you get to sleep. I've had people say they put it on in the background, which kind of hurts my feelings because it actually means you're not listening to me. But if you want, you can have this all over your house. Like, you realize that, right? If you go to doconnect.com, you can look up Dio Speakers. It runs on Apple AirPlay 2. You can put a speaker in every room of your house and everywhere you go in your house. My voice could just follow you around. It sounds a bit like a nightmare, but if that's what you're into, I mean, one man's nightmare is another man's pleasure. So if you're on the pleasure side, get Dio Connect and get some speakers in your rooms and you hear my voice all the time. If that sounds like a nightmare to you, you should still go to Dio Connect, just listen to something else. I mean, I'm the least relevant part of this ad. I just happen to be the person who's speaking it to you. Uh, there's speakers. You need speakers. I want speakers in every room of my house. DioConnect.com. That, that'll get you the speakers. Uh, what you play on it then is up to you. I actually feel like I've now, you know, crossed uh, a boundary that I maybe shouldn't have. I just hit my table. So the sound of me hitting my table and the microphone vibrating. You could have that in every room of your house with DioConnect.com. Dio speakers. I'm not very good at this. So this is uh, C. McBee, the random episode. Uh, I thought I'd just do a little surfing the internet, look at some things that have maybe caught my attention over the last little while. See if they're interesting. Uh, the first one really fits in with Ninja News Japan. A Yakuza leader and three Thai associates have been arrested in New York for allegedly conspiring to obtain surface-to-air missiles for groups in Myanmar using narcotics as payment. So I... It's actually less exciting. I thought the Yakuza were buying surface-to-air missiles. And... Uh, the only reason, so what they wanted to do was take 500 kilograms of heroin and 500 kilograms of methamphetamines uh, to be distributed and sold in New York, and they would use that as the payment for the rocket launcher. It seems singular, but it has to be plural. Like, I would assume for 500 kilograms of heroin, you would get a lot of rocket launchers, but I'm not actually sure. My favorite part, though, and unfortunately, if you're listening to the podcast, you're not going to see this. But if you go to the video, you'll be able to see the picture that is up on the screen right now. Uh, there is a picture of the Yakuza gentleman. And he is very proudly holding the rocket launcher in a very awkward way. Uh, I don't believe it's... I think it's supposed to rest on your shoulder and it's not quite... Or his shoulders... No, it is. It's just his shoulder is much weaker than I expected. He's got a very fashionable look. He's got some bright red shoes, maybe even orange. It's a little hard to tell with the lighting. A brown leather long jacket, some black pants. I mean, this is a stylish dude. So it's a dude who has money. It's a Yakuza. And then he's holding the the rocket launcher. He clearly hasn't held one before. It would be like if you gave me a rocket launcher, I would try to get comfortable with it. That's the pose I would end up taking. That's the picture we're looking at. So you have the undercover officers who were going to arrest him and he's like, I want to take a picture like every Japanese person ever on holiday. I want to take a picture with my 
rocket launcher because he's actually not planning on taking it back to Japan where he could show off to his friends. He's going to sell it to someone else. This is just a, a very mercenary thing that's going on. Okay, whatever. But then you got to imagine the joy that the undercover cops had of let, let's take selfies, or let's take pictures. I can't, he's not taking a selfie. This word has infected us. He a selfie is when you take the picture yourself. He's like, can you take a picture of me? And yet we use that for selfie because you're now the self in the photo. I guess. I, I modern language is is started to impact me, even though I don't consider myself a part of it. Like internet language and stuff, I I keep track of it so I understand what people are saying, but I don't tend to use it. It's not a selfie. They just took a picture. He's like, hey, take a picture of me holding the rocket launcher, and they're like, yeah, you did. Let's do that. I don't know. I I find it enjoyable in a weird way. Because then you know those cops kept that picture or passed that picture around the office or something. It's just a bit ridiculous. The whole thing was ridiculous. But great. Guy guy uh, gets his groove on, his picture. He wanted his picture taken with the rocket launcher. There's an interesting thing I learned about Yakuza. And apparently if a Yakuza aims a gun at you, if you like start jogging away, it is very unlikely even if they pull the trigger they're going to hit you. Because in Japan it's very hard to practice shooting so most Yakuza, even if they have a gun, have never actually shot a gun before. So it would be like if you gave me a gun. I've never shot a gun. You could probably stand incredibly close to me. And because I don't know how... Like I've seen kickback in movies or like how hard you have to squeeze the... Tr- I've never pulled the trigger. I don't know how hard it is. Um, I don't know how to hold a gun. So I could probably point it at you, pull the trigger, and I would miss. It's very likely. And apparently this is what happens with Yakuza as well. Something to keep in mind. Now we're going to move on to... Again, very random... Uh, I'll just do it this way SETI has updated the humanity's message to aliens so that we send messages out to aliens all the time which is you know cool and terrifying at the same time but you know there you go we, we do it so we want to make sure that it's up to date if you've watched science fiction which I've watched a lot of science fiction you kind of know about this there's like uh, information about our DNA and what we are and math and stuff like this. And they're like, oh, we got to make it clear. So the beacon in the galaxy message, so the BITG message, as it's called, is an update to the A-R-E-C-I-B-O, Arexibo message of 1974. So 50 years ago, they, they made a message. And like, it's time to update it. We have a better understanding. We have better ideas now. Okay. The message begins by conveying basic mathematical and physical concepts to establish a universal means of communication. So basically saying, like, we got to send you our alphabet in a way you can understand so that we can start building the language so that you can then read it. So this is almost like a Rosetta Stone, but there's not too late. The whole point of the Rosetta Stone being successful is there were three languages so they could compare. We know this one. We know these mean the same thing. So the bits we don't understand, we can now fill in a lot of blanks. They're saying math can do that, which is kind of cool. Uh, the stream uh, stream of ones and zeros goes on to describe the biochemical composition of life on Earth, our position in the Milky Way galaxy, and a digitized view of our solar system, Earth's continents, and the human form, an invitation for aliens to respond in kind, and also included among many other elements. So they're using binary and then building on that to give a ton of information. The optimal way of transmitting message and where in the Milky Way they should direct the radio signal. 
So they're actually like, we, we, so far they've just been shooting it out into space. Space, if you don't realize, is quite big. So they're like, here's, here's the best chance of actually getting a response would be here. We're going to aim it there specifically. So what they're saying is they want to update it so it gives a better sense. It conveyed the numbers one. The old message had the one through 10, atomic values of key elements, representation of DNA, a human stick figure, a schematic of the solar system, but Pluto was actually part of it and it's not actually anymore. Aliens actually might find that confusing because there is like a, a heavenly body out there. They just don't, you know, necessarily know uh, what, cla- what do they classify as a planet? If there's a rock in space, that's all we're doing is like showing the rocks that are going around the sun. Though the concept of mathematics in human terms is potentially unrecognizable to Eddie, which is extraterrestrial intelligence, binary is likely universal across intelligence. That's a big assumption because binary was still a choice by humanity. So an alien intelligence may not have made the same choice. They may have done something completely different. Binary is the simplest form of mathematics as it involves only two opposing states, zero and one, yes or no, black or white, mass or empty space. Again, those concepts, this is an interesting thing to me. Those concepts might not be the same concepts aliens follow. It might not be the same thing that aliens think. So he's saying that these are the simplest ones we have, they're the clearest, they're the most universal, but at the same time, it might, he's saying like it's going to be the most likely to be understood by an alien intelligence. I actually don't necessarily agree with that because they might think in cloud. And so they might think in interconnectivity. Uh, the Arrival is one of, is a really good movie because the way the aliens, they didn't think in time, they thought in circles. Like that was kind of the base problem was that uh, they didn't think in a linear time fashion like we do there's no reason to think that an alien intelligence would even think that binary makes sense with binary code chosen the scientists turn to an inalienable truth about aliens they live in the same universe as we do and therefore subject to the same immutable laws uh i have a friend who studied physics in university and he actually we were drinking one night and blew my mind because he said there is no real reason to believe that the laws of physics that apply to us here are the same if you get far enough away. So like if you go far enough into space, the laws of physics may change because we have not been out there. We haven't seen how things interact. We don't know how the laws of physics behave as we get further and further away from our base position, our understanding of the universe. It's not unreasonable to suppose that aliens have discovered similar things about math, physics, and the basic matter, uh, elements of matter. And again, that is making an assumption that aliens evolved on a similar path than we did. And it, it makes sense that if they're beholden to the same rules, they've evolved in a similar way. But realistically speaking, their environment could be so different because it's alien that it doesn't, everything that makes sense to us doesn't make sense to them, and vice versa. So there's a nice illustration of the human form. It's sort of a digital, almost ASCII art, which I did. It has depiction of the human male and female, object falling downwards for direction on the left side, and a double helix structure on the right side to give you a sense of what I do. Uh, illustration of the solar system with the planets, and it has a little mark under where we are. Um, I do like the idea that they're telling them where we are in the universe. And of course, then you get into the comments, which I found interesting. 
Oh, there's uh, which brings us to the gigantic elephant in the room. Should we even do such a thing, given its potential risks? We know absolutely nothing about aliens in terms of their behavior, ethics, motivations. This message would be a deliberate attempt to alert them to our presence. And then people argue about whether we should uh, contact or not contact aliens, which I enjoy. Um, and it's because they struggle with the idea that Okay, so my framing of us versus aliens. If aliens have the ability to trans, transverse space, they have surpassed us in such a way that we don't matter. And one of the problems humans have, and it's something that movies teach us all the time, is that we are somehow special. That humanity is special. That our spirit is special, indomitable. Uh, we will never give up. We can overcome anything. Even if we have to, we have to fight the aliens. We'll beat the aliens with our ingenuity. There's no way that's actually true. So if you have space, and let's just, again, keep the math really simple. There are a thousand inhabited planets, and we are one of them. There is nothing that we've done that would make us particularly special compared to those other planets, logically speaking. Which is the bit that humans don't want to, uh, don't want to accept. I've met a few people who like, really want aliens to come down and guide us to the next stage of evolution and stuff, or maybe we're not ready yet. But again, that looks at us like we're a special thing that needs to be fostered into the universe. I don't think that's the case. So the first comment, all right, you're worried we'll find a species more xenophobic than humans, which would be quite a feat given you've seemingly already decided that there's a high probability that any other alien race will try to wipe us out if we try to contact them. Uh, Yeah, again, they are not going to try to blow us up because it would actually be easier like they just it wouldn't even be a thought if they wanted to they could do it it would be done because if you think about the 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 ability to traverse space gives you this level of technology they could probably blow up our planet and kill us all without even leaving they could probably just shoot something at us it would hit us and it would kill us all so the reason we exist is because they don't care or they don't bother or they're just leaving us alone because we are irrelevant and that irrelevancy is a real problem that sticks in the minds of most people because again you've been taught your whole life that we humans probably that you as an individual are special there's a thing i read about china once and then uh because the the population is a billion people and it said if you're one in a million in china there's still a thousand of you i mean and that's it so like i am the top of one million people at my some skill in china there are a thousand people at the same level So I need to be one in a billion to be essentially special because you have a crowd of a thousand people who are all, you know, at the same level of something. That's still, like, that's suddenly not impressive anymore, even though you still are one in a million, which is terrifying. And then people start to argue in the comments a little bit. Uh, this, This one, Dr. Emilio Lizardo, which sort of is on the same thing as me. Any species capable of waging interstellar war doesn't need to worry about wiping us off. Resources in aerial land are most arable land are most certainly available to it without resources of violence. That that is actually something that I've thought about. That if you solve the problem of traversing space, you solve the problem of food and fuel and all these other things. So all the uh, SS stories. I in the old podcast I actually did a whole episode on this, like why aliens wouldn't bother invading us. All mo- everything movies have taught us is wrong. Like they're going to come and steal our water. They couldn't get here without a water source they could have on the way. So they they figured out how to harvest water from space. Uh, energy 
you know, nuclear power, energy, anything like that. Uh, they've figured that out already. And then genetic diversity, if they've gotten to a level of technology where they can, they can fly through space and maybe even have generational spaceships, they've actually solved the genetic problems. So that's, to me, one of the ones I found most interesting is that every movie that you've had where aliens come to Earth to, like, take all our resources, they would have actually had to solve that problem to get here in the first place, so there'd literally be no reason for them to come and take all our stuff. Any species capable of interstellar travel almost certainly has nothing to fear from a species that can barely get itself to the nearest heavenly body, which is less than 10 planetary diameters away. Maybe they might want to, but any speculation in that direction involves enough anthropomorphizing to render the discussion pointless. That is a very well thought out statement because I actually agree with that. And then the guy can't let it go. So you think humanity, the only example of intelligent species we know is truly exceptional and we're willing to bet the species on it. Well, not really. (laughs) I think that's missing the point. I think this guy is saying that any alien intelligence is so intelligent compared to us that we've become irrelevant, which is kind of what I just said. Because uh, we're not exceptional. And so that's a reason. I mean, it's a reason to invite people who are smarter than us into the house. And that's actually what we're doing. Uh, because they're not going to come here. I don't think they would come here with malicious intent because they'd just be like, well, we just won't bother. If we want to take that as like a road stop, we'll just do it. But again, it's not going to matter. We're not going to be able to stop them. So if they come here because we asked them to come here, they're going to come with relatively good intent or to study us. The problem I have is that their way of thinking is going to be so different alien that we're going to struggle to even like interact. So it's almost going to be impossible to exist together in a meaningful way because they're going to do something or say something. We're not going to be able to understand it. We'll say or do something. They're not going to understand it because just our core element, the thing that makes us what we are, is going to be alien. And since we're talking about language, this is actually a story. These are the words that Amazon's planned employee chat app reportedly won't let you say. So Amazon wanted to make an app, uh, of course, completely not to monitor what its employees are saying. So like I could talk to my coworkers using the Amazon app. uh, And that's really nice. And Amazon, of course, would respect your privacy. Uh, but I did enjoy that they have a list of words, but if, it, it put a filter on it, and that filter says you cannot use certain words. So a filter in place, the app would block or flag messages that include the words like union, slave labor, grievance, living wage, and more. It would filter out restroom. Uh, uh, they wanted to create the social media platform specifically for employees. I do like that they never say like, so we can monitor them when that, if you are an employee, it's clearly why they're creating it. If my company made a app to interact with my coworkers, I would not put it on a personal device. I would use it at my work computer, but I would talk to, I would probably still talk to my, my coworkers on some other thing that they don't have access to. Uh, it would allow employees to highlight each other's work by creating posts called shoutouts. Amazon would somehow integrate these shoutouts into the gamification program. So they gamify, they, they try to have like uh, things you can achieve at work, which I've heard about, which is scary because basically it's like trying to get you to work as hard, hard as possible for nothing. Uh, in addition to profanities and other inappropriate words, which makes sense. It would also include unfair, master, slave, injustice, ethics, diversity, fairness, pay raise, and phrases like, this is dumb or this is concerning. 
what better way to address employee concerns than to banish them into non-existence coming from a company that paid people on Twitter to say nice things about it. I remember that story. That's actually quite funny. They actually hired people to talk about how cool it was to work at Amazon. Uh, So this failed. And since we're talking about failures, I'm doing sort of nice little segues from story to story. Uh, Facebook is still trying to get cryptocurrency to work. So I think the first one, I called it immediately. Uh, they wanted to create a cryptocurrency called Libra. And this Libra, I was like, is just never going to work. And it's not going to work because there's two core issues with a Facebook uh, cryptocurrency. And it has nothing to do with the decline of Facebook. The audience for cryptocurrency... Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they have a picture up on the screen that actually says one Libra underneath. So I got the name right. The audience for cryptocurrency. So I actually am very interested in cryptocurrency. It's kind of something I I want to take off a little more. Uh, I want there to be a relatively stable cryptocurrency that could be used. The problem with cryptocurrency now, uh, for me as a user, is that if I actually want to use it for day-to-day interactions, it fails because the value fluctuates so much. I don't actually know how much my cryptocurrency is worth. I don't know what I can and cannot buy. The audience for cryptocurrencies, though, currently will want nothing to do with Facebook. Like, they might see the financial resources of Facebook and go, that's appealing, but I don't want the Facebook philosophy involved in my cryptocurrency. The current user base of Facebook, primarily, is not going to be into cryptocurrency. So they're trying to sell something to people who either don't want it, or they're trying to sell it to people who, like, the people who, work who use Facebook don't want cryptocurrency. The people who want cryptocurrency don't want cryptocurrency from Facebook. I struggle there for a second. Meta, the parent company of Facebook, is still planning to create a digital currency according to the news report from Financial Times. The news comes from after Facebook said it was uh, said to have abandoned its cryptocurrency plans last February. The project originally called Libra when it was first announced in June of 2019, but rebranded as Diem after facing intense scrutiny from politicians around the globe. So basically, they tried to rebrand it. It still didn't work. They're going to try again. Meta are trying to find the least regulated way to offer digital currency. Uh, That doesn't surprise anyone, because what they are trying to do is find a way to get money into the Facebook or slash meta universe that will never get out and can't be taxed and things like that. It has nothing to do with bringing benefits to the user. That is, again, is something you have to be really clear about. Cryptocurrency advocates, the whole point is the decentralized idea because then banks and governments can't control it. Facebook is like, we want to control it. Let's offer it to you. Again, that audience is going to be like, no way. And since we're talking about almost labor rights at this point, because uh, we've had now Amazon and Facebook in there. Uh, I did see a teacher contract from 1923, which I did enjoy and I think is worth reading. Uh, And it'll be our last bit for today. This is an agreement between Miss Peter, teacher, and the Board of Education of the Something School. I like that it's pre-filled in Miss. So there is zero expectation that a man is going to be going for this job or a man is inapplicable like you cannot apply for this job if you are a man whereby miss i'm going to just stick with the name is peter so it's easier whereby miss peter agrees to teach the something school for a period of eight months beginning september 1st 1923 the board of education agrees to pay miss peter the sum of 75 dollars per month miss peter agrees there are 13 stipulations one not to get married 
The contract becomes null and void immediately if the teacher marries. I would like to, I guess this is all about purity, but marriage is, you think like a puritanical goal. Like marriage is how you do all this stuff. It's, it seems acceptable. Number two, not to keep the company with men. Not to keep company with men. So you can't date. I guess that's, you're not going to get married because you can't be see men in the first place. So you can't like hang out with them. You can't speak to them. You can't spend your free time with them. Three, to be home between the hours of 8 p.m. and 6 a.m. unless in attendance at school functions. So you have to be at home, I assume in bed in your demure nightgown after 8 p.m. Uh, and they, they, again, this is the, the workplace regulating your free time. Uh, number four, not to loiter in downtown ice cream stores. So I guess other stores are okay, but ice cream stores, I guess that's where you got picked up back then. Uh, I, I'm assuming you're not allowed. To, oh, they, they do talk about alcohol later. So you couldn't, there's no way you could go to a bar. Number five, not to leave town at any time without the permission of the chairman of the board of trustees. So if you want to go visit your family in a different city, you actually have to contact the chairman of the board of trustees to get permission. Six, not to smoke cigarettes. This contract becomes null and void immediately if the teacher is found smoking. Number seven, not to drink beer, wine, or whiskey. This contract becomes null and void immediately if the teacher is found drinking beer, wine, or whiskey. So that, that could be at home. So in your house between 8 and 8 p.m. and 6 a.m., if you decide to have a little tipple, you this contract is null and void. Number eight, not to ride in a carriage or autom- automobile with any man except her brother or father. So this is kind of what we make fun of, uh, like how strict Middle Eastern cultures are because you have to go everywhere with a brother or father. But this was uh, America in 1923. This was no different. Number nine, not to dress in bright colors. So even if you are uh, dressed modestly, if you wore a bright pink or a red or a blue, that would be unacceptable. Number 10, a modern Japanese issue, not to dye her hair. So Japanese students, we've done that story in Ninja News Japan a few times where uh, students, the rule is you have to have black hair and then students with naturally brown hair have to dye their hair black. But the rule was actually trying to get students to not dye their hair an unnatural color. Number 11, to wear at least two petticoats. A very interesting rule because it implies that someone would need to sooner or later check how many petticoats the woman is wearing. There was a rule in Japan uh, that girls were supposed to wear a specific color of underwear. Now, the intent was that the underwear would not show through, uh, let's say they're light colored, because they wear a white blouse, so they don't want you to wear a black bra so you can see the bra through the blouse. So really, the rule should have been that you can't see your underwear through the clothes. But they said, no, you have to wear specific colors. But that would imply that sooner or later, someone needs to check the color of your underwear. This, to check that you're wearing two petticoats, would have to happen. Therefore, someone needs to get down on their hands and knees or like rip off your skirt or something to check that you are wearing at least two petticoats. Number 12, not to wear dresses more than two inches above the ankle. The ankle. Number 13, to keep the schoolroom clean. This is not as bad. A, sweep the classroom floor once a day. B, scrub the classroom floor with hot water once a week. C, clean the blackboard at least once a day. D, to start the fire at 7 a.m. so the room will be warm by 8 a.m. and the children arrive. The last ones are not so unreasonable. You have to take care of your classroom. But, uh... It's interesting because I've been very much reading a lot of the anti-work movement. I agree with a lot of the philosophy and ideas, again, being a very liberal, socialist, Canadian kind of person. 
Uh, I have very liberal ideas about how humans should be treated. Uh, I don't know if I get into it. It's been 30 minutes. I was listening to a podcast where they're talking to Jon Stewart, and he was at the White House, and Jeff Bezos was there, and Jeff Bezos was talking about the future, and he was actually really saying the future is going to be uh, service industries in service of a small cabal of billionaires. So, like, your job eventually was just going to be providing services for the few richest people in the country. And John Stewart said, like, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that's actually when you have a revolution. And Obama, I don't remember if he was the president at the time or if he was just visiting as well, but basically said, I agree with John. It shows you how out of touch Jeff Bezos is. He doesn't realize that his wealth, if he continues to treat it that way, like the world is there to serve him will actually end up being an incredible danger to him where someone wants to get rid of him. I don't know. I don't think it's going to like have a physical revolution like that, but I mean, you can only push people so far and the pushback is happening. The pandemic has uh, spurred people on to change jobs and only take jobs they want and the work from home movement is really strong. Like Managers are all saying uh, people have to go back to their offices. But... A lot of people are like the the counter argument is everyone's working just fine from home. Why do we have to like spend the money to drive into work, uh, spend the money on clothes to be have workplace appropriate clothing when all my work gets done, if not more efficiently from home? And a lot of people are saying that the the reason is they have to prove the value of the lease on these buildings that they they have. They can't go say like the last twenty years we didn't actually need this building that we've paid for. So the things are going to change to a degree and that is interesting because I would I think it's necessary I think it's good I live in Japan where the work-life balance is horrendous and I'm really hoping it takes hold here it doesn't need to be particularly extreme I just like let people go home at the end of their shift it doesn't apply to me I get to go get up and walk out just at the end of my shift that's great but you know there's Lots and lots of people in Japan that work philosophy, if you, you have to stay and work an extra two, three hours unpaid overtime. It's ridiculous. And they don't have a life. And then they talk about like the declining birth rate. But I'm like, if they can't ever leave their office, they can't meet someone, have a relationship, get married and have kids. And then they can't take care of the kids anyways because they both have to work now. I don't have a conclusion. That was just a lot of random stuff from the internet. It's the stuff that caught my interest. It's the stuff I found interesting. If you find something interesting you would like to share with me, I would certainly appreciate it. You can send an email to chunkmabeefchest at gmail.com. You can uh, send a voice message to speakpipe.com slash chunkmabeefchest. And I would love to hear from you. I, you can check on Twitter and other stuff. If you look for chunkmabeefchest, something will come up. <laughs>